So we're starting from a few lines down here, uh, five lines down. So the Gemara is going back uh, this one point that we spoke about yesterday about someone who davens for something that him and his friend needs. So then he's answered first. We saw that. And now we have in the negative. Uh, the Gemara says, Someone who gives judgment uh, about his friend over to Shemayim. So meaning to say a person has a grievance against his friend and he, he, he asks HaKadosh Baruch Hu that Hashem should judge between them. And so you're bringing Hashem into, into your grievance with somebody else. So the is Hunan Shkila. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, oh, I have to look at you guys a little bit with more scrutiny. And then he ends up punishing the person who, who asked <coughs> who asked uh, who asked Hashem first. Shinemar, where is the source for this? Sorry said to Avram that, you know, my injustice is upon you, meaning she felt victimized. And he, she, she, she went out to say, Yishmael Hashem be, between us, that he should ask that Hashem should judge. And what happened afterwards? So the idea is that Avram outlived Sarah. That's what the Gemara is proving from that second Pasuk. <coughs> and we're saying that Sarah was really destined to live the same years of Avram, but she passed away earlier. Now, what's interesting is to think of how many years earlier, right? So it's years and years, it's in 30-something years, that she passed away earlier. It seems like in the Gemara prematurely because she was Moser, but this only applies where you could have justice here on the earth. In other words, there is a court or something like that, so you shouldn't give the case over to Shemayim. And uh, it seems that Taisus notes that maybe there was a there was a court in the times of Sar, right? There's a court of, of shame, the son of Noach. He was uh, certainly Tamachacham at the time. What's the one who cries out more than the one who is the, 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 who, is, who, who is the person being spoken about in the cry? In other words... You know, getting all nervous, right? Right? That oh, someone's davening to Hashem to, to punish me. But on the other hand, that guy who's davening that Hashem should punish other person has more to be nervous about. So that's echoing the same thought. In the following, in the pasuk that discusses if someone cries out, you know, the pasuk there is talking about when people don't trust each other well. You know, so, so it says you have to be careful how you treat the poor because you know they can daven to Hashem and and uh, you know Hashem is really going to listen. But really, both of them are mashma. Hashem is going to judge also the one who, who davens, that his friend be subjected to Hashem's punishment. Except that they, they actually hasten to punish the one who cries out before they punish the one who is the subject of the cry. So both could be judged, but the one who, who cries is in a, a, a quicker judgment. You should never let the curse from a small, a small person... Uh, from a head yoke, you know, someone, a regular inconsequential person, not such a significant person, he gives you a curse, it shouldn't be uh, so insignificant. We find Avimel gives Sarah a curse from his Galbazar, and it actually ended up being fulfilled amongst her children. So this is the, when, when, when he gave her a gift, he gave a huge gift to the, fam- to the family before he sent them off. He gave them a lot of silver. So he said, this will be a covering of the eyes. So what exactly does that mean? So, what it simply means is that this will this will cover up for the glances that people would look at Sarah, and that's the idea. Is that uh, you know that that if the king gave her gave gave sent him away with such big gifts, clearly he's a prominent person. You don't mess with him. Don't steal his wife. The king sometimes sends him away empty-handed. Then it's like, who is this guy? He just used the girl, and then he sends them away. So clearly, by sending him away with such big amount of money, so he's saying so that this is going to cover people's eyes from looking at Sarah. But the de- the deeper idea, of what it means, will be a covering of eyes. Amalavi Melch said, "You covered up facts for me. Remember, they hid 
the fact that Tsar was really wife. Luke is a Jewish sheikh. He didn't reveal Avram is your husband. Therefore, you caused me all this pain. He wrote so, and it should be the will of Hashem. That you will have children whose eyes are covered. Right? So blindness was the curse. This curse was fulfilled in her children. So he came to pass, and Yitzchak got old, and he couldn't see anymore. So therefore, we see that that was a fulfillment of her curse. A person should be better to be amongst those who are being pursued and not to be the pursuer. That's the worst thing, is to be the pursuer. In other words, basically we're saying if you're in a fight with someone and you have the chance to go on the the offensive side, better not to. The most pursued birds are, 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 are pigeons and doves, small little birds. Those are the, of all the birds that are brought us, that, that, that in the world, the only ones that are brought us as, as on the Mizbeach as Karbanos, the eligible ones are the smallest ones which are pursued. So we see that that's a, evidently a good midah. Okay, now we continue with what to, to analyze the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, if someone said this friend, blind my eye, caught off my hand, break my leg, and then he did it, so the person is still chayev to pay. Um, even if he added, on condition that you won't be chayev, he's still chayev. In other words, he shouldn't be taken seriously. All of that. And then the Mishnah spoke about someone who's breaking someone else's property. He said, tear my garment, break my jug. He's still liable to pay. But then the Mishnah said, if he said, rip my shirt or break my jug, on condition you will be exempt, so then he doesn't have to pay. So the Gemara tries to understand what the difference is. What's the difference between the first part of the Mishnah and the last part of the Mishnah? In the first part of the Mishnah, where he said, chop off my hand, I'm a nas that you're potter, we say he's still chayv. You should, assume, you should not assume that he was serious. Whereas in the Sefer, we say, if you said, rip my clothing, on condition you'll be potter, then he is in fact potter. What is the difference? There's no such thing as forgiving damage to one's limbs. No matter what he says, he can't be taken seriously. So when he said, blind the eye, don't worry about it, he was uh, he was speaking from you know a place of pain or whatever you know when he's saying these things, but he can't actually it can't actually be a legitimate expression of das. So it's a fascinating thing because he said it right. He said, "Not destroy my arm, and you, on condition you'll still be exempt from pain." But we're saying no such statement can be taken seriously, and therefore the 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 mazik is still high in that scenario. But it seems like what we're saying when it comes to somebody's property, there is such a concept that a person could legitimately be mochel. <coughs> yes, do this to my property, rip my shirt, and on condition you'll still be exempt. So if he said on condition you'll still be exempt, then then by the person's property we assume it's actually a serious statement, and therefore he would be potter. So the Gemara doesn't like this because I'm mochel was a person mochel pain. Right? You would say, no one's mochel pain, the same thing, but we know that a stipulation about pain is effective. Someone says, hit me on condition that there won't be liability. Potter, he's not potter. So he is potter. So we see that physical pain. A person is mochel. So what's going on? So Ishtik, he was silent. Did you hear anything about this? When we say you're chayev for the bodily injury, we mean because the way it disgraces the victim's family, the victim has no right to waive that. So basically we're saying for the pain, just for the pain itself, he has the right, he has the right to waive that, he has the right to be mochel. So just to clarify where we are, so the Gemara's really moved away. Really, a person, it, it could be a serious statement. When a person, even about bodily injury, even about a person's body, if you say it on condition that you'll be potter, it could be taken as a serious statement, and therefore the mazik could theoretically be potter. However, you can't be mochel, something that's not yours, right? So the, all the, um, Disgrace that comes to the victim's ham- family because now this of this whole story that this guy's blinded or he's missing an arm, so that's clearly something 
that he doesn't have the ability to wave. So on just the pain itself, which is the ability to wave, so then the guy's bothered. But on the whole injury where, where that, that reflects on the whole family, it's a disgrace in the family, that's the pshat. He doesn't have the right to be mochal, and that's why the mazak is chayv on that. So now the Gemara tells us that this is actually a dispute I don't understand. Ravoshi has said the way we just said. That the reason why Amanas Lifter doesn't help on bodily damages is because it's, it's a disgrace to the victim's family and the victim doesn't have the right to be mochal. Rava, Rava goes back and says, no, it's just about what we started with. Rava holds it's because there cannot be such a mechila because people just don't do it. And, and, and he, he rejects the premise that waiving liability for physical pain is like waiving liability for physical damage. He says, no, you would intend seriously to waive liability for pain, but not for, uh, you know, losing an arm, right? So Rava maintains, like, if you think about it, I think Rava's like kind of, it's going back to what we had before, but it's kind of the pashtas. It's like no one would ever be mochal losing a limb. There is such a thing as being mochal pain, but there's no such thing as being mocha on, on losing a limb. So it's nothing to do with the disgrace of the family. It's just that such a statement cannot be taken seriously. And the third approach, Rabbi Yochanan Amar, you know what the pshat is? Rabbi Yochanan holds really the stipulations would be valid, even about, his, even about his hand. But the case is, is that we weren't really sure what the guy was saying. There's a yes that's like a no, and there's a no that is like a yes. So what does that mean here? If you would say, cut off my hand on condition, there would be no liability, like those words absolutely explicit, then in, in, indeed the mazik would be potter. But the case is he said like this. First he said, cut off my hand. Then the mazik says to him, he says, could I do it? Like question mark. And he says, and he says like, yes. But he doesn't word yes in like he's got like different, you know, mixed tones in that. So it could be yes, go. Or it could be yes, like do you really think I'm going to let you do it? Like that, like rhetorical. And you don't know what when a person responds yes to that question, what in the world that he is saying. Um, so it comes out that, that you, could, you, you, you could have such a thing. And also with the nose, right? He says, tear my garment. The says, could I do it on condition? There won't be liability. The victim says, no. So what is he saying when he says no? Is he saying no or is he saying yes? <laughs> how, do you, how do you understand? So we're saying it's difficult to, uh, to, to make it with the sarcasm and so on and so forth in different ways that people use the speech. So according to Rabbi Yochanan, that's the point. So really according to the few Rabbi Yochanan, we say that fundamentally the, the, the statement, if it was clear, could be a mechila. So we come up with three very different approaches. When, what's the pshat? That when a person says, strike me, I'm an ass lifter, that the guy is still high. We have three approaches. Rav Oshia says that the victim can't be mochal in the disgrace of the family. Rav is saying because no one can ever make a serious statement about such a thing. And Rav Yochanan, that in Akhanami, it could be done, just we're talking about a case where it wasn't that clear with the sarcasm in his tone. Tanya nami achi, if someone says to his friend, strike me, wound me, I'm an ass lifter, he says, can I do it on condition of be pater? He says yes in a sarcastic way. So that's a yes, that's really like a no. But if you would answer yes seriously, he would be exempt. If you ask Susi, if he said, you hear my government, and then he said, I'm an asliftar, this is on condition of only liability. If I'm below love, and he says no in a sarcastic way, that's a no, that's really like a yes. And, uh, and therefore, in that case, in, the, in that case, he would, um, he would, he would talk, he would talk to be pater. Okay. Uh, continues the Gemara, if someone said to his friend, break my jug or tear my garment, and he did it, so he said that, that, that he's liable to pay. So now the Gemara, just that's me say, someone tells someone to do it, just to go back to the basic for a second, just before they want the next guy. If someone just says, go do it, he doesn't explain, and he doesn't say, unconditionally, then there's no question that the Masik is live. Our whole question was when he said, I'm an lifter, as we just explored. But when he just says, do it, of course the Masik is live. So the Gemara asks, for a minute, what about this Bryce? Bryce was talking about if a person gives uh, to a Shomer, gives money or a Kalim to, to, a, to, a, to a Shomer, to a as a deposit to watch. So Lishmar, the Pasuk says to guard, not to lose. Meaning, you're not chayv of a shomer if it was given to you to lose it. 
If you specifically said, here, take this, but I want you to lose it. So then there's no liability if something happens to it. Lishmar to guard for the Lola not to tear it. Meaning the same thing. If he gives it to him for the purpose of losing it or tearing it, so then the Shomer is not really a Shomer. So he has no responsibility if a Shomer applies to him. It was given to him not to guard, but to rip. Lishmar The same thing to guard, not to distribute to the poor. So meaning if the owner told the Shomer to distribute it to the poor, so that it doesn't belong to the owners anymore, and therefore he doesn't have a claim if there was some sort of negligence from the Shomer. Different dinim that we learned from here. So I'll confirm, what's the one that interests us? <coughs> it says that if the owner of an item gives it gives it to someone to tear, that person is exempt if he tears it. Our Mishnah says, if I tell you rip my shirt, so then you're still chayav. For sure, if I don't say I'm an ass lifter, there's no question, I'm chayav. So how come over here we're learning that when someone gives something to a shomer, the shomer is not liable if it was given to him to rip? So the Gemara says, Marfuna lo Our Mishnah is talking about to the garment, to asiliyade, is where it was already by, by in his hand before he authorized him to tear it. So in that case, the Shomer is liable for tearing it because since he already had it, he was already a Shomer, so he's liable for negligence and, let, and, and the statement, oh, rip it, cannot override the fact that it's already by him. But ha, oh, the price of the loss of the other, he's talking about before it came to hand, another, before it came to his hand. In other words, the point is, that it hadn't come to his hand before he was authorized to tear it. So he gets it only after he was told to tear it. So in that case, he's not liable and he's never considered a shomer. If someone says, here, I want you to rip my thing, and he gives it to him, so, so there, he, he, the statement was made before it came to his hand. So if the statement was made before it came to his hand, so then there's no liability. But the Gemara doesn't buy that. It's mashma that it is already in his hand because it says a person gives it to him to guard. We're speaking about cases where it already came to his hand and, and then he's giving instructions and still we're saying that he's potter if he tears it. No, we're talking about it already came to his hand. Our Mishnah is where it originally came to his hand to be shomer. And then the owner just reconsidered and said, I want you to tear it. So in that case, if the shomer does tear it, he is liable because once it came to him originally to be a shmira, and therefore he was being a shomer practically, and then the statement comes, go rip it. So then it can't override the fact that he's a shomer. We don't see enough seriousness there. And therefore he's liable. All the other is Korea. The price was talking about a case, a case where it came to his hand, but it came to his hand for the sake of tearing. So in other words, the case is he gave him the permission to tear it before he became a shomer. So even though it came, it came to his hand, it did come to his hand, but we're assuming that he, he doesn't really care if it's destroyed. Since he, he, he made the statement before it came to his hand, so then even though when it came to his hand, he still, he still ends up um, being potter. So myself, he, so a guy just says, rip my shirt, and he doesn't take it at all, not a shomer, and he just rips it. L'chayr should come off of the Gemara that you're potter. The only case in the Mishnah where Kras Kuzi is chayv is where you're already holding it as a shomer. That's L'chayr what comes out from the Gemara. It says the Gemara, we just, uh, we just mentioned that, that a shomer is not chayv when his job is to give it to the Aniyim. So there was a person money for Sakha that came to Mudisa. Afki Rav Yosef, Gavi Gavar Rav Yosef was the Gavai, and he deposits this by another person to give out to the people of Pandiza. Pashabe, the Shomer was negligent. Also, also Ganvi Ganvua, and because he was negligent, the thief stole it. Chavir of Yosef. Yosef said that the custodian had to pay. <coughs> he had to tell, he had, he had to pay. Why? Because he was a negligent Shomer. So I'm Didn't we just see that a Shomer doesn't have to pay if he was negligent for on money that's meant to be distributed to the poor? The people in Pandiza, they have a, a fixed stipend every week. So meaning, the Pshad is that the, the one holding the money is really a shomer for, it says, if the, he's, he's a shomer for the poor person. Now, normally, I say, oh, hold this for the poor. Which poor person? How much? I don't know. We'll figure it out. So then you're not a shomer for the poor person. You're really just a shomer for the one giving to you. Then you're potter because it's meant to be distributed to the poor. But where it's so clear there's a fixed stipend for, for certain individuals, and the, then it's ki'ilu that you're a shomer for them. So if you're negligent, then you have to pay them. The lishmar, who therefore it's considered regular lishmar. <laughs> okay, now we move on to 
the new parak of Agozal Eitzim, which is really goes back and takes us back to Parak Maruba. That's essentially what the parak is about here. People who are stealing and um, and how they pay back. So just remember the basic insight. The pastor says when a person steals, what's the introduction? You return the thing that you stole. If the thing is not intact, what's the halacha? So then we learn from Vishilam that you pay the money, the value of the thing that was worth when it was stolen. That's the idea. Either you return it intact or you pay the value of the stolen thing. And, and there are different scenarios where even though it's not here, you might be able to keep the item that was stolen and just give money. One of the examples which our mission is going to deal with is when a shinoi occurs, when you switch, when you change the, the form, you change the, 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 the thing that was stolen. So then the God of now owns the stolen item and therefore he just pays the cash that it was worth. Another example, remember we learned about a case of let's say the owner despaired of getting it back and it's in the hands of somebody else like that at this point. So then certainly... It doesn't have to be returned intact. Instead, the Ghana can just pay money. So that's what our mission starts with discussing Shinoi. Someone steals pieces of wood and makes them into utensils. He steals wool and he makes it into a garment. So he doesn't return the thing inside intact because of the Shinoi. And rather, he just pays their value that they were at the time of the robbery. And just to explain, you don't have to pay the value. If it went up, you don't have to pay the value of what is before the Shinoi. There's no such halach. In other words, once the Shinoi occurs, you're koneh, and you're paying for the value that it was worth at the time that it was stolen. That's the what the mission is saying here. Now, a little bit more of a complicated case. Someone stole a pregnant cow and it gave birth. Someone steals a Rachel, a ewe, that is fully loaded up with <coughs> wool, and then he shears it. So what's the halacha? So, so let's just understand. Let me just give it a little. It's not so simple. It's a huge machlok as Rashi in the Rashi. But I'm going to say over Shita's Rashi. Shita's Rashi is that there is no shinoi in the mother. You steal a mother, a pregnant cow, and it gives birth. You, you share the you that has the wool. That's not a shinoi in the mother. The mother is the same mother. There's a shinoi here on the fetus. Or there's a shinoi in the wool. There's no shinoi in the cow. So the cow is for sure going to go back intact. And the, in, in both cases. But the only question is, is that the baby or the wool does not have to be returned intact because the shinoi occurred to them. So I'm trying to assess the proper value for them. So how do I assess the proper value for them? It's very difficult to assess the value of the fetus and the wool. How do I assess the value of a fetus or a wool? So the Mishnah says, the way you do it is, you're paying the value based upon a cow that stands to give birth. Or the value of the, the value of the you, it stands to be short. So in other words, now the difference between the previous and the present value of the calf, that's what you're going to pay in money. So let's just understand. The person steals a pregnant cow. He's paying back. But how does that now give birth? I'm sorry. He stole a pregnant cow and then he gave birth. So now he's paying back. A, he's returning the cow. That's Shita's Rashi. B, is that he's going to pay in cash a discrepancy between the value of a cow that's pregnant and the current value of the cow. And that money represents the money for the fetus. The reason you're not returning the fetus that turned into a calf is because the, the fetus that went into a calf underwent a shinoi. That's the way Rashi learns the Mishnah. Okay, continuing here. Let's say someone stole a cow and it became pregnant while it was by the Ghana and then it gives birth. Rachel, he steals you and became laden with the wool while it was by, held by him and then he shares it. So in this case, there is a Shinoi in the cow. The cow got pregnant or the cow or the cow got the wool after it was stolen. So here, so then you don't have to return it. So then you just pay the value of it at the time of the robbery. Zachlal, this is the rule. Whenever robbers pay, they pay the time of the robbers. Even if it went up afterwards, they're only paying the value when they're paying in cash that it was worth at the time that they stole it. So now the Gemara has a question. Amri We said We spoke about a case where you stole wood and you make any utensils. In there, it sounds like you acquire it and you pay cash. But sheep on low. Let's say you just 
Meshapadah. Meshapadah means, you know, you fix them up, um, you, you, then you wouldn't acquire it. So in other words, what, what does that do? You, like, you make them into planes, you, make, you have, to, have to work with them a little bit before you make it into a kli. You don't just take a raw piece of wood the way it is and make it into a kli. So it sounds like from the Mishnah, just planing the wood, just working with the wood is not a shinoi. The shinoi is only when you make it into a kli. Same thing with, with Samar. Samar is only if I take the wool and make it into a garment that, it's a, that I'm koneh. But live non low. Let's say I just whiten it, I clean the wool, then that does not acquire them because that's not a big enough shino. It seems like you need a greater effect. Says the Gemara minute. We have a question with this on the bride. So the bride says, Gazel eats him, Vishipa, and someone stole pieces of wood and he planes them. Avonim is sitta, and someone steals stone and he chisels them. Samar believed on he steals wool and he whines it. Pisham and he calls flax that he cleans out. He acquires it because that's a shino, and he only pays their value that they were worth at the time that they were stolen. So we see from here that planing wood, whitening wool, that is a shinoi to make it a bikona. So why is our mission only talking about someone who makes it into a kli or somebody who um, makes a garment? So I'm rabbi, tana didan, katana shinoi to rabbana dahadra. Our mission is not, is not referring to someone who stole the rough wood and uh, then planed it and assembled into a kli. We're not, that's what we thought. We're not talking about that. We're talking about someone who stole already planed wood. So the only shinoi to do was to make it into a kli. So in other words, we're not talking about someone who stole the raw wood and then did a bunch of things and eventually made it into a cleat. No. Of course, if you steal raw wood and then you just plane it, you work with it, you chisel the stone, that itself is enough of a shinoi. And that's actually a better shinoi. We're talking about someone who stole already, already wood that was already planned and ready to go and then you made it into kalim. And that's actually a shinoi that's only Konan on a Rabbanon level. Why? Because that's a shinoi that can be reverted back to the original form. So meaning when I have a raw piece of wood and I, and I plane it and I make it, I cannot bring it back to its original form. That's actually a better shinoi. When I have plain wood that I put into a cleat, technically, I can just pull it out and reverse my action and get back the raw material. So actually what the Mishnah is discussing is a greater novelty. That someone who stole the wood which is already plain, he makes it into a kli, that mid the Rabbanon said that that's a shinoi even though it's not really an irreversible action. The Koshikin shino deraisa, of course, a, a, a shino that's recognized on a deraisa level, like someone who steals raw wood and planes it, which is irreversible change, that is a, that is a kino. We're talking about in a case where someone already stole plain wood. My neo is sarim finished boards, and now he takes the finished boards and he makes it into a chest. That's something that can go back to original form. You buy a if he wants, you can pull the boards apart, and they will just be boards. The same thing. When the Mishnah talk about someone who stole wood and made it into garments, we're not talking about someone, we're not talking about someone who stole all the raw wool, then whitens it and turns it and weaves it into a garment. But we're talking about someone who already stole spun threads of wool that were already ready to go. And, and, and he just puts it into a garment. That's a shina go back to its original form. He could just take the garment apart and then he'll have the original threads. And the Mishnah is saying that even that shinoi, despite the fact that it's not irreversible, the Rabbana were Masak and that that shinoi is going. The Kol all the more so, like it goes without saying, shinoi is right, so that a Torah dekashinoi, like whitening, which is an irreversible thing, is a, is, is a Kenyan. That's what the Mishnah was, was bringing out. But Tana Bra, whereas the outside Tana, the Tana the Bra, so Shinoi deraisa Katani, he was just talking about the Shinoi of the Torah law, Shinoi Rabban lo Katani, he wasn't talking about the Shinoi de Rabban. So he was just talking about a regular case. Someone stole wool, wool, and he whitens it. So it's fascinating. Like you, now you look at like your hierarchy of Shinoiim, stealing raw wool and, and whitening it, or steal, stealing raw wood and we're making it into a board is actually a greater shinoi. That's a shinoi that's kona midaraisa. Our mission was not discussing that at all, according to Abayah. According to Abayah, we're discussing that was already done, and now you're just making it into a clean. 
Ravashi Yomar Ravashi is a different shot. Tani Dan Amishina Daraisa. Tani Amishina is also only talking about Shina Daraisa. It's Masan Kalim. When we speak about wood that's made into a kli, we're talking about Pulchani. The kli that he made was a pasal, the Ainu Shipan, which is the same as planing it. Meaning, we're not referring to a case where he first made it into a board and then he made it, you know, into a closet. But we're talking about a case he stole rough wood and he planed it so in, into a way that it became a pestle. So that there was that's all itself. There's no further assembly, no other hollowing that that needs to be done. That it basically is the same. It's the same thing. He's making some sort of felt. All he does is by pressing raw wool until the fibers, you know, come together into a cloth, which is shino dilochazer. So basically we're saying that there's no two steps where I first do this and then I do that. It's just the case is... Um, I just pre- I we're talking about a case where where where, where he's not doing it in two step process. Says the Gemara. Now a new question. What did the Brizer say? The Brizer said that when you whiten something, that is that is a shinoi. Whitening wool, right? You take the wool and you whiten it. That's a shinoi. Says the Gemara. Is that true? Is whitening really a shinoi that affects that the ganavot? A minute we have a question to this. We're talking about here with the mission of, of Rashi's case. Just to clarify, you shear the your shearings, and the first of the shearings go to the kohen. So there's a certain Amount. It's only when you have a certain amount, for a certain weight from a few animals that it goes to the Kohen. So what happens here? The owner did not give it to the Kohen, but he already went ahead and he died it. So he died it. Potter, he's exempt. Why? Because in that moment that he died it, so now, so now it's, he was, he was Kona Bishinoi. So once he's Kona Bishinoi, so then he doesn't have to give it to the to the to the coin because he stole it effectively. Now the question is why doesn't he have to pay cash? That's the hard question. Okay, so he stole it from the coin. Does he have why is he positive should pay cash? So there could be the Tudum Shatum and Rashi. Sometimes Rashi said it's not a full act of theft because it was never belonged to a coin yet. It was never reached the coin's hands. Other places, Rashi seems to say a different idea, which is that which coin can come after him. He could always say, I would give it to a different coin. So, okay. But the bottom line is, he doesn't have to give the wool intact once the shino occurs, once it's died. But live no below Let's say he only whitened it but did not die. Chayav. He is obligated to give the whitened wool to the coin. So clearly we see that whitening something is not an effect that's such a big transformative thing. It's too subtle. It's too small of a change. It's not a change that makes you kona. So I'm Rabbi. Lo kasher. Ha Rabbi Shimon. The price of the robbery that whitening is a change. He's going like Rabbi Shimon. Ha Rabbi the Mishnah is going with the Rabbanan. Now we're going to show Rabbi Shimon and the Rabbanan disagree if whitening is a shinoi. The Tanya says that a price by Rishis again is above us. Gazo Tvav Argo. If he shears the wool, he spins it or he weaves it. In mitzdarves. Then it doesn't combine with any other wool that he shears. Meaning, you take. Again, it's only when you have a certain amount from a few animals and you give it to the coin. So let's say by the time you have you know the second batch from another animal, the first one you've already done this 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 uh, changes to. So then it doesn't combine with any successful wool that he shears because he's already been coned with the physical change over here. So it's no longer part of what goes to the coin. Libno, but if all he did was whiten it, so Rav Shimon, Omer, Rav Shimon says in Mitzarif it does not combine. Rav Shimon clearly holds whitening as a shinoi. If it does combine, the Rabban and all that whitening is not a shinoi. Says the Gemara, we could say that both the Brisa and the Mishnah follow Rav Shimon. It depends how you whiten it. If the Mishnah it says whitening is not a change. That's talking about what all you use. You 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 disentangle disentangled the wool by hand, and then you started taking out. You know, picking with your hands, picking out some dirt. So that's like a very you know I don't want to say ineffective, but it but it's a very primitive way of uh, of whitening the wool. So that's not such a strong shino that you've done to the wool. Saruka saruka. The bride was talking about you comb the wool and did it like a real good thorough cleaning uh, whitening. That is a shino. That's the Gemara. Different shadow. One is the case where you washed it. Other kapri recovery. The brides are talking about a case where you use like real bleach. There's like differences. You know, water does one level of whitening, and then bleach does a whole other level. So it depends what level of whitening you have done.
Says the Gemara now, a question within the opinion though of Rabbi Shimon. If we see in another b'raitzah, we're going, we're going to bring, that dying in Reb Shimon Shita is not a shinoi. Changing the color is not a shinoi. But that whitening is. That was, we saw before that whitening according to Reb Shimon is a shinoi, even though the Rabbanon is not. But now our problem is that we're going to show from another b'raitzah that Reb Shimon knows even dying is not a shinoi. So how can that stem? The Tanya says in this other b'raitzah, causes Rishon Rishon's foe. Someone shared his sheep one by one, and he dies the wool as soon as it's shorn. Rishon Rishon Vitavo. Or he shears them one by one and he spins them. Rishon Rishon Vargo, he shears them one by one and he uh, weaves them. Ain't mistar if they don't combine because all those are shinuyim. Whether it's uh, shearing, spinning, or weaving. If he only dies it, mitzar, if it does combine. Why? Because dying is not a shinoy. So here we have an amazing question about Rav Shimon Shita. Dying in this price of Rav Shimon saying is not a shinoy. But yet in the previous price, uh, I have Reb Shimon saying that whitening is a shinoi. So you can tell me whitening is a shinoi and dying is not. If anything, it should be the eye. You could hear the opposite, but that way, certainly not. So I'm Rabbi Lokash, You're right. If you notice carefully over here, it was Reb Shimon ben Yehuda saying over what Reb Shimon said. In fact, there are different versions about Reb Shimon Shita. Of course, if whitening is a shinoi, then dying is a shinoi. Yes, correct. This price that says dying is not a shinoi would certainly hold that whitening is not a shinoi as well. But the, the previous Reb Shimon that we were looking at was a different version of Shimon quoted by the Rabbanon, well, that even whitening is a Shinoi. Rav Amar, different shot. There's not a disagreement. Everybody agrees that whitening is a Shinoi and dying is not. How could it be? Whitening is and dying is not. Dying is different because it's reversible. You could use a detergent and you can clean it and the cleaning would remove the color. So it's a reversible change. This that the Mishnah said previously. I just, I'm sorry, before I even read that. Ink and whitening, what's the chilak? Whitening, it's, that's a reversible change. That's interesting. Why can't I dirty it up again? Okay, why can't I, you know, throw it around in the mud? Very different. You have to say, right? Understand that's a different point. One is taking away that, and one is just making the problem again. Right? That's not called removing the whitening. I didn't remove the whitening. That's irreversible. I just took away that dirt. I could put other dirt. That's not removing the whitening. But here, I can remove the the dye. I can remove the color that the dye made. Wouldn't matter if, if making it dirty is considered a shinoi. You're saying, why isn't the dirtying going to be a shinoi then? If I would do that, would that be a shinoi? Right. So I think we're talking about the point is, I went ahead and I did a whitening. Our Shiloh is, is whitening an irreversible change. Right now, it didn't dirty it. Maybe you're right. Maybe dirty, I don't know. Maybe it is. But, uh, or maybe it's not, because that's also because of the Riyasa. But the point is, whitening is a permanent change. Whitening is a permanent change. So, so fine. Now, so we're saying dying is, is reversible, and therefore that is not a change. Whitening is irreversible, and that is a change. So, I, the Mishnah said over there, let's of all Potter. So, so that was even like Reb Shimon. So, you see in that particular case, dying works. But Kalin the law of it, that's like an indigo, which is not re- removable with detergent. We, we know, you know, Kalin is something very similar to Tchelas. Like very, very, very strong stuff, this indigo. Not sure exactly uh, what this stuff is, but bottom line is, so we're coming out like this. Reb Shimon Shita by whitening, according to this opinion, whitening, anything that's irreversible is good. Irreversible is a good shinoi, reversible is not. So dying, it depends. It just depends if we can come out with the detergent or not. Okay, so bottom line is, we have a bunch of shilas here, a bunch of machlegs and tanon, but everyone agrees to the basic principle of shinoi is kona, and that applies to a ganav. It also applies to the ganav in the case by Rishas Agaz, where he changes it, where now he doesn't have to give that stuff to the coin.